You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to the show. I am Hody. I'm Lou. I'm Brian. And this is Enemy of My Enemy. You may have heard an extra voice in there today. Uh, ordinarily, we give you libertarian perspectives on modern events from left, right, and center libertarian perspectives. In this instance, we're going to be discussing the tactical or not so tactical retreat from Afghanistan that we had. And we decided we needed a little bit of star power. So we brought Seth in here and he's going to issue some closing statements on all the stuff that Brian, Lou, and I probably mess up because you don't go from being (laughs) COVID experts to foreign policy experts overnight, but we do like to pretend. Now, obviously, I'm being somewhat facetious here. We do like to do a lot of research. We do like to uh, read about this kind of thing. I've, I've been, um, I actually heard from somebody who was an intelligence advisor over there, and that's actually how I got most of my notes for this podcast. So you're cheating uh, is what you're saying. I am cheating. This is information that is not mine, but I'm going to make it mine because I don't believe in intellectual property. This is our information Yes, ours, comrade. Our information, (laughs) comrade. All right. So even by some of the most horrific estimations, um, including the foreign policy expert that I listened to, um, he issued, he actually said this about a month before the withdrawal, that he estimated it was about three months until the Taliban took over. Now, the White House's estimation was that the Taliban was not going to take back over at all because we had, they had uh, 300,000 troops of theirs that we had trained compared to only 75,000, according to their estimations, Taliban units they had trained. So why was it that intelligence experts kind of thought that maybe Afghanistan was going to fall anyway? Uh, to the Taliban. And the reason being is because when you are in a country, and even if you train up a lot of people that say they're on your side, if you end up blowing up their families a lot, they end up not being as on your side as you think. And when you say, hey, please cover and risk your lives for our tactical retreat, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're actually going to do that. Uh, one of the issues with this is because people are like, wait, are we in war, out of war? And a lot of people kind of aren't understanding where we're at. Um, we did issue a retreat. During that retreat, we had 15,000 American citizens to kind of get out of there. And what we were going to do is pull them out over time, over this six, eight year, however long that they thought they had. Well, little did they know, surprise, surprise, they had about a week until the Taliban took everything over. And so we did not get any of those 15,000 civilians out of there. We got our troops out, but we were depending on their troops to cover a retreat. Their troops decided not to cover the retreat. So now we have 15,000 of our own uh, civilians in there, non-troops. So we have added 7,000 plus troops back into the, to the, to the fight. Um, this is largely not an overly violent affair. There are obviously, there's some danger and some violent, at least this particular spat is not particularly violent because the Taliban is coordinated, but they are not centralized. So you don't just blow up a single target and say, we got the Taliban. 
Um, they're kind of all over the place. So that's kind of the situation we're at, and there's a lot of insight to go in from here. So let me start with Brian. Brian, why don't you give us your thoughts on the uh, retreat from Afghanistan? Well, I, I think the best way to kind of capture it is uh, when um, the U.S. government updated its relationship status with Afghanistan to it's complicated. Um, the reality is for Facebook. Yeah, just for Facebook. Um <laughs> you know, of course, we, we've got the benefit of, of looking back at this, but there's a few things that I talked about during the week that I, I think would have been done in a normal media environment. And, I, and I'm using the term normal media environment because what we're in right now is kind of this, it, it's not unprecedented. We've had hyperpartisan media environments uh, kind of throughout all of history, but it, it seems like a couple things could have happened very easily. Number one, the media could have done just a little bit of investigative reporting into the vast money pit that became Afghanistan. Uh, where's the cash going? Where are these 300,000, by the way, 300,000 troops is not a small number. In fact, it's a very large number. And if that's just troops, there's probably about, uh, and I'm sure Seth will correct me, it's probably at least three, four times support staff usually for those troops. Uh, if you have an actual troop environment, all the logistics and everything else has to go into running these things. Even guard troops still need support. It would have been very simple to go through and just find all these companies supporting them. You know, where, where's the food going in? Where's all the money going to? Where are these troops sleeping? You know, can I go through and count warm bunks in a couple of these things? And it wasn't done. So that's the first problem. The media just totally botched it. Number two, if you're doing a strategic re retreat in a landlocked country, you kind of want to make sure that you can keep an airport open one way or another. Now, it's nice that you'd like to keep Kabul International Airport open, but it would probably make more sense to keep something that's maybe a little more secure, say an airbase, you know, something similar like that, that you could keep open, that you could use, um, that you have existing facilities on, probably even things like, you know, you know, mess halls, schools, you know, all those little things that you could use that you could take in refugees very quickly. So could we have done this better? Of course. Um, could we have, you know, is this very difficult things to see? I don't think so. Um, and we could have seen this coming a mile away. Uh, finding out that we had maybe 30,000 troops as opposed to 300,000, finding out that we pulled all the contractors out that were helping keep the Afghan Air Force in the air. Yeah, that was kind of a crappy situation. And frankly, if I was an Afghani uh, army or Air Force officer, I'd be out of there in a heartbeat myself. So. Yeah, uh, thank you for that analysis. Uh, Lou, why don't you give us your thought on the uh, strategic retreat? Strategic is such a joke. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. So July 13th, there was an Intel memo sent to Biden and, you know, all of the big wigs that make these decisions that specifically said you've got about a couple of weeks, maybe if you're lucky and you're not going to have control of Kabul International Airport and, you know, all of these things. It was laid out in this memo from Intel on the ground saying this isn't going to work. And they completely disregarded that Intel. And I just... You know, with everything else that's going on on top of that, where the hell is Biden? He's hiding. Hiding Biden. That's what he's doing. When we're in war like this or whatever you want to call this, um, Obama 
was in front of the camera. He was meeting with the press corps. He was answering questions. Even if there were questions he couldn't answer, he at least said, that's not a question I can answer right now. He wasn't hiding. Okay. This entire thing is insane. And of course, we're, oh, well, it's Trump's this or it's Bush's that. It's everybody, right? And Biden is making Carter look competent, which blows my mind. So he's off on vacation down in Wilmington, not even scheduled to be back in D.C. until sometime today, supposedly. Still haven't heard anything, but I could have missed it. Um, it Kamala's out doing her Miss America wave in where? Southeast Asia. Southeast, yeah. Oh, this shit? great place for her to be. Right. You know, and we have all of this is just imploding and he's doubling down the one interview he did um, with what, Stephanopoulos. He doubled down and and had all of his facts wrong to boot. Oh, that was, a, you know, that was like last week. No, it was yesterday. Pictures of people falling out of airplanes was yesterday. Or, well, not yesterday now, but at the time he said it, it was yesterday to him, right? Um, the entire thing is a shit show. And I, I almost feel like the, I almost feel like this was intentional because now you've got people scared again. You've got people going, oh my God. The Taliban are going to do it again. We're going to have another 9-11. And so you're going to have so much more support for another war or to continue the war or whatever. And that's all this is. It's a money grab. It's you. I don't know. And to see now we're talking, isn't there's a bill that's, it hasn't hit the floor yet, but they're wanting to um, basically, again, take away semi-automatic rifles We've been through this before, right? And so you want to take away semi-automatic hunting rifles from American citizens when you just gave billions of dollars worth of MRAPs and Black Hawk helicopters and automatic rifles to Taliban because you left it there. It just blows my mind. It's Wait. stupid. Sorry. Go ahead, Brian. No, Lou, the thing is this. The Taliban are also enacting gun safety, common sense gun control measures inside Afghanistan as well. So the, it, mm. it, it's, it's, a, it's a coordinated activity. Right, right. It's totally okay. Um, I I lived in Charleston, on Charleston Air Force Base for several years, and I have stood on the flight line as caskets were wheeled off of C-17s, you know, and I've had many friends come and go to Afghanistan. Not all of them made it back. And this whole thing is sickening to me. And then a lot of them who, once they got out of the military, continued to work as civilian contractors. Um, one of the companies right there outside of the base was one of the companies that put in a lot of the guidance systems and GPS and things like that into MRAPs. And those guys did all of that thinking they were doing this for a noble cause. And I have recently had the opportunity to talk to some of them and they're pissed. They are pissed. They feel like they basically just spent 10 years of their lives building weapons of war for the bad guy. And, and they feel used and abused. I just, 
everything about this entire thing from every angle, whether it's, you know, the 17 or 18 year old boy that died in the wheel well of the C-17 who all he wanted to do was play soccer, you know, or the people who were literally tossing babies over barricades for military members to catch. And now we've got the Taliban saying, if you're an American, do not come to Kabul International Airport. It's closed to you now. You cannot come here. So what the fuck was Biden thinking? That's all I got. That's about all you need. Um, My (laughs) thoughts on this. This blame obviously goes all the way back to George W. Bush. And it's when you are involved in a war, even if you think it's justified to go after the terrorists who attacked you, which probably is. uh, (laughs) When did that become nation building? We've spent... $2 $2 trillion on their infrastructure over there. Um, I mean, and that, and of course, we're just now realizing in Congress, wait, did we forget our own in- infrastructure for a long time? Oh, I guess we did. Hopefully they love us for it, though. Yeah, they don't. But there's $2 trillion. Um, again, Bush, Obama continued it. Trump continued it. Biden has failed to end it. Um And if you read the Afghanistan papers, just search for it. They're called the Afghanistan papers. I know it's nothing flashy sounding, but just talking about the lies that we went to under the Disclosure Act that we were able to get a hold of and say, oh, we've been counting every male that you killed as a combatant. And we've been, and even by your own metrics, you've killed over 500,000 innocent people. And that's that's over 1% of their population, by the way. You're looking at a country of 39 million people. Um, and so when you kill 500,000 of them, I'm, I, and that's the low end, that's 1.2%. I mean, that's basically one out of every 100 people has been killed by an American over mm-hmm. there. How does that make you, if one out of every 100 people over here was killed by somebody in Afghanistan, how would that make you feel? And I think then you might understand some of the sentiment that's going on over there. Um, We were lied to constantly about the way things were going. Um, That's another, uh, the death count was kind of the big revelation in the Afghanistan papers, but the other part was how the deputy chiefs would say things were going and then what they knew how things actually were. Um, Numbers aren't people. And, and people are not numbers. And you can think that you have the numbers battle, but this is the problem. You can say there's 300,000 people that we have that hate our guts versus 75,000 of their people that are really passionate, who are gaining a lot of traction. And in fact, a lot of the families of the 300,000 people are more supportive of those 75,000 people. And it's like pawns on a chessboard. You can say, oh, I replaced, I have three rows of pawns and you only have two rows of units, but you say, well, my own rows of units, I have, I have a queen, I have two rooks, I have, I, I mean, you're going to get slaughtered if that happens, you know. Um, a lot of times we, and our own media, and this goes to what Brian was saying, we tried to um, take one side or the other. And I will say that this was... <sighs> A lot of times, this happens especially with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, but we demonize one side and make the other side look like saints. And if you're doing that, you probably don't understand things very well. What the America was doing over there was bad. The Taliban is also bad. They are not good people. They are not interested in, I mean, they are people, 
I assume victims of circumstance a lot of the times, but they are not supportive of women. They have uh, their rights and codes are archaic. Um, I remember though that the New York Times, uh, back when Saddam Hussein was on trial, was like, oh, if you let the Iraqi people try Saddam Hussein, they're just going to make him king again because I'm sure everybody loves him so much because the New York Times was so far up in their own butts about how amazing Saddam Hussein was and how awful the United States was. Both can suck, right? And like the Taliban still sucks. And so what we're seeing here is uh, is a lot of like, oh, we didn't know it was going to be this bad for the citizens, even if the Taliban did take over. We thought that maybe they'd keep some reforms behind and maybe they'd be good with democracy now. Democracy wasn't great beforehand. Of their uh, 39 million people, only 1.9 million voted. And so this was not this was not a strong democracy. A lot of people didn't believe in the democracy before. And so, of course, they don't believe in it now. You know, so when they say, well, this is your mayor, everybody's just kind of like, I didn't vote for. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't care. You know, my friends didn't vote for. We didn't even show up. So um, we needed to do a responsible withdrawal. One of the things that I found was interesting was I listened to some of the intelligence sources was that they did not coordinate this with our allies in the region. Um, and so like when we withdrew, Canada and England and Australia were like, what? oh, you're leaving. Oh, okay. Like we knew there was kind of a withdrawal and we'd reported on the show. We talked about it in the news, but it was kind of like a, all at once now, here we go. And they're going to defend us. We didn't coordinate with our 300,000 people who were supposed to defend us that, hey, you're going to have to like dig in and trench up and here's how, how it's going to work. We didn't do that. We just assumed they would because we trade them for general combat, I suppose. And we didn't coordinate with our allied nations to say like, hey, we're leaving. You may want to come with us or make some plans. I mean, this is not a good way to treat your friends, right? Because like, actually Australia kind of had an issue when we left because they're like, oh, we thought you were going to be here so that we would withdraw our people over here. You could have gotten more people out had you talked together, right? Had, had you actually talked about this plan. And the better yet, had you talked about the plan, Australia and Canada and stuff might have been like, oh, okay, so do you have planes to evacuate all your people? Because it's going to fall, right? Like you have another layer, even if you didn't think it would, you have another group of people who would have been like, oh yeah, this place is going down. And that is always helpful to get other points of view. America's not always great about getting those other points of view because we've got this excellent American exceptionalism. Um, the war kept them from growth. Um, I don't love that the Taliban is there. I strongly recommend that our borders be open to any and all refugees around the world that need help um, and that we show some initiative in getting those refugees here because if we make some adjustments to our economy, they're absolutely fantastic for us and uh, they, they tend to be very hard workers. But the war kept them from dealing with a lot of issues. Ultimately, here's the thing. These people aren't ready for democracy in general. And I don't want to say these people like, oh, they don't understand or they're stupid or anything like that. People are just in different places. You know, I mean, when when God rescued the Israelites from Egypt, he's not like, okay, come into Canaan the next day. You guys are awesome and you're ready to go. No, like you need training. You need work. You need time. I do want to say to leave this with. I am very proud of this show 
because both of you called that this was going to be a mess when I brought up as a piece of my mind that I was really glad that we were getting out of Afghanistan. And Lou and Brian, you were both like, this is going to be worse before it's better. It was still the right thing to do, and it's still the right thing to do to leave. But the thing is, we stunted their growth. We made it so that they didn't get to choose this path, and now they're angrier than ever. More terrorist cells are going to crop up because we didn't make any friends over there. Al-Qaeda still exists. Oh, I did want to say this too. Joe Biden did issue one presser, and like by a lot of fact-checking sources, it's like the worst consecutive string of lies in like American history of politicians. Like it's just, there's no, it's one of those where it's like Joe Biden doesn't lie as often as Donald Trump because he doesn't speak as often, but if he did, he'd be, he'd be like worse. And that is something to kind of be freaked out about, right? Because it's one of two things, either Joe Biden is genuinely misinformed or he is actively lying. And both of those are kind of terrifying when you are literally talking about hundreds of thousands of lives around the world. This is the person who's in charge of taking care of them. Anyhow, Lou and Brian, props to you for taking care of this. You said that this was going to happen. You kind of called a lot of this current situation. All right, Seth, uh, now that you've heard the misinformed opinions, let's have a little bit of an informed opinion on this one. <laughs> Go ahead and give us your thoughts on the uh, Afghanistan retreat. First, Brian's absolutely right. The Taliban are busy implementing gun safety over, over there. Um, they've gone around door to door and they're confiscating guns from anyone that isn't Taliban. So clearly they have nothing but peace, love and democracy in their hearts that they're trying to spread to their friends and neighbors. Because the first thing you do when you want to spread peace, love and democracy and friendship to your neighbors is take their guns. We're going to have to discuss the uh, future of our marriage if you keep saying Brian's right. <laughs> I, said, I said he was right about that. I'm yeah, <laughs> we, we, we got a whole list here, Seth. But um, yeah. <laughs> and I got to say, Hody's right on. Yes, you know the well. When we talk about anarchy, and we always say certain people just aren't ready for anarchy. And as a species, you know, as much as we love the concept of anarchy, humanity's not ready. We're just not there yet. It's kind of that. That, that scale, you go from one place to another and yeah, they're not even ready for democracy. And that's one of the mistakes that we've made over the past 20 years um, is that we've always basically treated Afghanistan and Iraq as more or less the same war. And Iraq and Afghanistan are nothing alike other than as Americans, we can lump them into they're in the Middle East. Right. Even though probably 95 out of 100 Americans can't correctly identify either on a map. They're in the middle of something. I mean, <laughs> you know, so, and I can also see how Lou and Brian called this because the template was already laid out on how we leave countries these days from Iraq, because we basically did the exact same thing in Iraq. Everyone went to bed one night thinking that the Americans were still going to be there when they woke up. And the Iraqi allies woke up and went to go knock and be like, hey, good morning. And literally lights are off. There's a little note on the door. Peace. See ya. Thanks for the t like so long. Thanks for all the fish. Um, and that was it. We were out, gone, poof, literally middle of the night. So it's not surprising at all that they did this in Afghanistan. Um, I, I do have to 
correct. And when it comes to meddling in Afghanistan and whose fault this is, we can actually even go back further than baby Bush. Wow. Yeah. Because yes. as early as the 80s, yeah. and I think it might have even been the 70s, we were meddling in Afghanistan when the Soviets were there. Mm-hmm. So this has been our... I don't even know what to call it. Pet project. Pet project? Man, <laughs> it, it's know. every country's pet project. The British, the Russians, the now the U.S. Now it's going to become yeah. China's pet project. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, good luck to China, I suppose. Oh, that, no. That oh, no. Really it's it's going to be hilarious because the, they're coming in right now. The Chinese are coming in, and I'm sure all those Blackhawks are being shipped right over the border, right over to China. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's going to end up happening is that Eventually, the Chinese are going to exert some rule and the Taliban are going to go, you know, we've got about 80 years of experience of blowing little flying tanks out of the sky. Go ahead and send yours over. We, we need some more target practice. Right. Now, I don't know that the Chinese are quite as nice in their rules of warfare as we are. Um, so the Taliban might have a little bit of surprise in there. But yeah. uh, again, one thing that I think everyone that's ever gone there underestimates is the fact that the people that are there and the people that are fighting against us, they don't know this terrain just from their lifetime. This is generational knowledge of this landscape that has been passed down. So there are little tricks and hideaways and tunnels and caves and pass-throughs that have been handed down from a couple of families for thousands of years now. And it's why every empire that goes in there just absolutely gets their ass kicked because technology hasn't evolved to a point where we can overcome terrain. Right. They they think that they can get the high ground in a lot of these cases because high Afghanistan is all high ground period. I mean, you're, you're, you're either you're, you're, you're either in a valley or and a target, or you're up in the air. But then every every country's gone in since the Soviets, thinking that well, if I if I get uh, air superiority, I have the high ground. Yeah, dude, your high your your high ground is a is a flying tank that can be taken down with a you know thousand dollar missile. So uh, eventually, people get tired of seeing troops shipped over to a country and bodies coming back, just like the U.S., just like the Soviets. And I have a feeling in about the next two or three years, going to be the Chinese. So, yeah, I've had, um, I I woke up the other day and like in a sweat with all of this happening. And I mean, and I, maybe it's probably obviously because we had that episode about nuclear war and all that stuff. And I woke up and like, basically we got out who we could within a short period of time. And then Biden just like, turned the whole Middle East into glass overnight. And then Russia was mad at us. And so they did it to us. And like, it was the day after tomorrow all over again. And I like, this does make me very nervous. I I disagree that there's nervousness about Joe Biden does not want to go down as. No, I don't, I don't think that. I don't even think I just mean that like, obviously we're, what we're doing now is, what we've always done is create terrorists who hate mm-hmm. us right. and it makes us vulnerable. And so obviously like as a dream, that's very hyperbolic. Like I don't yeah. expect no, that to actually yeah. happen, but it does make me nervous 
for our security. And I don't, as a, as an anarchist, I don't want to give up my freedom for safety, but I also don't want to do dumb shit that's going to put me in danger. I, I hate to say this. I mean, the big thing is, is that the, the, I, we, we have been, I think, honestly, as a, as a, as a planet, very lucky so far that we have not had our first nuclear ter terrorist event. I fully expected back when I was in, when the Soviet Union fell, I fully expected one in the first decade of that. There was enough plutonium and uranium being shipped out that anyone with a pulse could have machined a crude weapon or gotten one, gotten a primary to work and been able to, to obliterate a small, you know, like naval yard or something like that, shipping port, something like that. I, I fully expect that to happen in, in our lifetimes. Um. <sighs> Yeah, it's sad to say, but the technology is out there. And the technology is, as I said, your car engine is far more complex than a nuclear weapon. And so, even if not just the technology, the right yeah. there's actually nukes out there. There's actually, uh, so the U.S. has misplaced 32 total nukes. Now, yeah. of those, of those, 26 of them we believe are defective. So, for example, you crash it into the ocean or, yeah. you know, crashes yeah. into the side or whatever it can be. But six of them are functional and we have misplaced them. Well, and so it is, it is crazy to think about that, that there is actually a nuclear device out there that we're like, Igon, you know, well, the, the one the one you really have to worry about is the Soviet ones, because the Soviet ones, even though we're doing a lot of um, it, I mean, obviously, the Atoms for Peace thing that we did back in and, uh, you know, uh, warheads for um, uh, yeah, I forgot what they called the program in the 90s, trying to get all that plutonium out of the Soviet Union. Um, but in reality, is that I'm sure a good chunk of it snuck out now, to be honest, probably a lot of it's unusable two, three decades later, um, it's probably been contaminated or it's probably in a, in a state that you would have to do some reprocessing. So time goes on, but I'm, I'm talking about full fledged, some state actor sure. throwing, throwing uh, something at, but, but getting back to a happier note, um, looking at the Taliban shutting stuff down outside Kabul airport. Um, there's a lot of Sam sitting there and all of a sudden we've just now all of a sudden asked all the U S carriers to start flying planes in there. Um, I do have a little backstory on that. My dad used to fly into, uh, Kabul and, and Kandahar and a few other places, uh, uh, flying commercial flights and they had fighter escort. They had specialized planes. Um, the reason being is that someone occasionally would launch off a Sam, uh, a shoulder-mounted one, which can take down an airliner very, very easily. Uh, the it's Russians right. proved that during the uh, happened, with, uh, yeah. Yeah, with, uh, with uh, the Malaysian flight. Um, it's not very hard to do, and it's going to happen. Uh, we're, we're doing hundreds of operations out of Kabul now, um, and the Taliban is the epitome of a, you know, a, a, a not a real hierarchical thing. Go, go kill them and, you know, Somebody's gonna be sitting out there, bored with the Sam, say, "Hey, watch this, boom!" And and I hate to say wow. it, that's that's like somebody's like waiting for that box to be lit because you know the millisecond that happens, what's gonna be, what's gonna happen? All these troops are gonna get activated. We're gonna go right back in. Oh yeah, I just googled yeah. airlines that have been shot down, and it is not infrequent as it should be. Oh Business. no, it isn't. Yeah, and, and the Malaysian uh, flight is the one that's, you know, they were all ticked off because I mean the thing is that the Sam systems actually have systems to identify is this mm -hmm. uh airline or not please don't do it i mean the russians are smart enough to put that into their systems uh air traffic controllers are smart enough not to route planes through those areas um but 
you know, you get some bored 19 year old who wants to make his mark. Guess what? I'm going to go blow up an airliner. Yeah. And oh, by the way, all those people sneaking on the planes, I don't think it'd be that hard for them to sneak a grenade or two on board. So, Yeah. To Corey's point here, the Democrats and Republicans have created a multi-trillion dollar mess. I don't know that we're going to... The sad part in Afghanistan is we're fighting our weapons with our own weapons that are now also now their weapons again. Yeah. And, and this is just... It's like, how many generations are we going to make this mistake of giving them more weapons? Uh, I don't know why we do it. It's can we, can we get money back? Can I get our money back? I could use $2 trillion right now. I mean, you I was going to say just. Uh, yeah. Oh, but, you know, it's okay because Biden's going to just give us, you know, $2,000 a month hush money. Pretty much. Did you all, did you all happen to see that report that said uh, – Joe Biden actually asked Kamala Harris to speak about this. And she said, oh, oh yeah. no, you're not going to pin this on me. That was like, she, <laughs> that press conference was supposed to be delivered by Kamala Harris. Yeah. And, that's yeah. that's so exactly ahead, why Joe had to come back because yep. Kamala was supposed to give it. And she was quoted, by, yep. quote, confirmed by the New York Times. You're not pinning this shit on me. Yeah. So, that's amazing. Two, two things I mean, about that. Too, but... Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, number one, I don't blame her. Yeah, because no, right. no. I mean, seriously, I'm sitting here. If I, if I, if Joe Blow in the middle of Indiana can go, this is going to go very badly. Yeah, I'd be like, yeah, you're not going, you're not going to make make me the face of it. But number <laughs> number two, good one, Corey. Um, no, number two is that you know, in difficult times, leaders come forward and say, hey, you know what? This is a complete shit show. Yeah, this came out, and here's what we based our information off of, and this is why I was wrong. And here's what we're going to do. No, she turned tail and ran and made mm -hmm. uh, made Joe come off vacation. So yeah. <laughs> this, the, the, that New York Times piece uh, confirming it is like, okay, all I got to do if I'm running for president is just say, hey, something bad happened, Kamala. Can we pin this one on you now? You know, can you go <laughs> up and talk about it? Okay. Any thoughts of 2024 are gone for her at this point, which yeah. is I mean, look at what happened with uh, Hillary Clinton and uh, when Obama was blowing stuff up, right? And it was just like, oh, Hillary, can you speak about this? Uh, Seth, you were about to say something about Joe Biden, I think. We cut you off. Yeah, I, I wanted to circle back to Biden. You had yeah. said that you know Biden was either lying or misinformed, and you didn't know yeah. which one's worse. There is a third option that is far worse, and that's that Biden doesn't actually know what he's saying. He doesn't know what's going on. And, and, and I think... That that kind of just becomes more and more obvious. You know, it was kind of a joke that we, you know, as a country, we're electing sure. an Alzheimer's patient. But as we get 200-something days into this administration, uh, I mean, you look at everything and we look like we're being run by the dementia ward. It's yeah. terrifying. And then on top of that, you guys are talking about Kamala just up and out of the country. She decides to go to Southeast Asia and Vietnam, of all places. Yeah. Is she celebrating like the anniversary commemorating the fall of Saigon while <laughs> Afghanistan's in flames? That that picture was wild, wasn't it? The pictures of the helicopters leaving Saigon and Afghanistan on the same like day. Yeah. Like, to the day. That was wild. I, I want to say one thing though about it though. That Chinook helicopter is a hell of a design. I mean, they're, they're still flying this many years later. So one of the few things that the military industrial complex has designed a damn good helicopter to keep well, they really have. They have. Uh, but again, this is a moment where 
almost any other presidency, any other administration in my lifetime that I can remember at a moment like this was mm. there. And they couldn't get enough of being in front of the cameras. Oh, yeah. Even if I they mean, didn't have all the you. answers, they couldn't get enough of being in front of the cameras. It's unheard yeah. of for them not to the, yeah. Never let a crisis go to waste. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Clinton was an expert at this shit. I mean, oh yeah. If, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, to Somalia, everything else, he'd get out in front of there and be like, mm, yeah. you know, yeah, Joe Biden is. We is have a, we have fifteen thousand civilians on the ground at minimum. At minimum, confirmed. And that, I did want to jump in real quick on that point. You know, mm -hmm. the Pentagon has said they don't know. It's somewhere between ten and forty thousand. They don't <laughs> fucking know. Oh, and and you caught that they were going to charge him each two thousand dollars to fly home. Yeah. No yes. way. Is that for yeah. real? State Department was going was going to charge $2,000 a piece to fly them home. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that was going to be you had to get you have to have $2,000 to get on the plane or if we're just going to bill you when you get back. But after the press corps, oh wow, they did their job. Wait a minute, you're evacuating citizens after the worst probably one of the worst withdrawals in recent history? And you're going to bill them 2K for them to get out of the mess you made? And the state went, well, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll back off on that. But yes, I've got a source for that as well. Oh, yeah. Or, yeah, that's terrible. That's awful. Uh, oh, oh. And the solution is that, you, as you said, we're going to have them fly on civilian flights. Yeah. Yeah. In a war zone. Yeah. Oh, and, and everybody running up to the plane and stuff like that. Because, I mean, that's, I just looking at that those guys on the runway, I, I'm... The guys hanging on to the plane. You have to understand, airlines are very, airports are very secure, and they have to keep staff have to keep the security staff in order to be able to have people flying in. Because when someone crawls into a wheel well and falls out, it it happens. It doesn't happen as much as it used to. But obviously, in a world of terror of uh, heightened terrorism, which well, we can put quotations around that, um, yeah, someone could very easily just get up there with a couple grenades and you know, at, at, right at takeoff and take right. down the airliner. So all those guys crawling on the plane, I'm, you know, how hard is it going to be to find a guy who says, hey, you want to take down a bunch of your traitorous countrymen that are leaving this country? There you go. Right. Ugh. Went so far as to, like, ask, like, what, like, Delta and United to, like, help, right? To, like, donate airlines? No. Like Order. 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 They're it's telling them they request. have to. So hang on here. So now you're going to pull plot pilots. Pilots have been flying for you know, probably 30 years, because it's all going to be long-haul flights. These are your top people that are flying in these airlines. You're now going to have them fly into a war zone, which they may or may not have experienced it. A lot of these long-time guys probably have flown, you know, jets for the military, cargo guys, things like that. So they may have experience. But still, it's way different flying a cargo plane, which has active and passive um, uh, uh, countermeasures, for service to air missiles, a little bit sure. of armor, things like that, as opposed to a frigging seven triple seven two hundred that's now also going to be loaded with four hundred people that they aren't doing security checks on, probably. I sure. uh, just get on the damn plane and take off. Well, the air quality over the ocean is different than the air quality over land. I mean, it's just there's all these little nuances that pilots are familiar with that you can't just suddenly train them by ordering them to just do it, right? Oh, I mean, and, and Kabul is is what they call a high, hot airport. 
So it's a very high over. I think it's I think it's like mile high. It's almost a uh, mile high in, in elevation. And it's also very hot, which means that you have a low air density, which means you can't put as much cargo in a plane, which means you got to have a longer takeoff run, which is, introduces more risk, especially if you've got people that don't really understand the language you're saying to say seated in your seats. Please do not, you know, try to run towards the cockpit saying screaming that, you know, you want to get off the plane. To Seth's point, it, it's something that I've kind of come to gr grapple with a little bit lately as well. So I used to be like a speech and debate, like I was a national champion in college three times. I did it in high school. They paid for my college with it. Like speech and debate was my life. As I got older, my ability to participate at that level in that conversation diminished. I am only 37 years old and I would not even be, be able to be on the stage with these 22 20 year old kids that are talking about speech and debate anymore. Like I'm just, I, I, and part of it's that my practice has gone by the wayside, but part of it is a little bit of age, right? Like my, my mind just isn't quite as sharp. There are several jobs in this country where you can't be over a certain age to have them because your mind is falling apart. But for whatever reason, we don't have that for politicians. And we seem to just assume that their minds are going to be fine. This isn't even a personal attack to just say your mind at 80 is not what your mind is at 40. My mind at 37 is not as good as what my mind was at 22. So when we keep ha like electing these people to make these decisions, there is a legitimate, and I think especially for Biden, who we were worried a little bit going into things anyway, as you watch him zone out in a press conference, or like he'll be in the middle of a question and kind of stop. And then, and I think you, you know, on this podcast, obviously we have times where we're like, oh, I forgot what I was going to say, but he'll just stop and zone like right, in the mid sentence. <laughs> right, right. We're not presidents. And, and at the I same time, at least here. we're like, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Can somebody help me out? You know, he'll just stop and stare. And you're just kind of like, oh man, like, I don't know <laughs> what's going on. And I feel bad because I don't want to pick on the guy. I know there's a lot of people that unfairly picked on him because of, you know, speech impediment. Or because of oh. like family tragedies or something like that. But there does come a point where we have to say there is a there's a mental threshold you have to have to be in public, right? Like to be yeah. a public leader. Well, not only that, Joe Biden has been lying pretty much my entire existence on this planet. I'm I'm 40 and I'm gonna be 50 here next month. Right. Um he's been in Senate for that entire time. I remember Biden running in the eighties and he got he got nailed on the plagiarism speech that he did. Then he got nailed for lying about his grades. Then he got nailed for all these other things. And nothing over these years has stuck because he was smiling Joe Biden, Uncle Joe. And just, God, you had to get just a warm body to beat, you know, Trump in this case, which don't get me wrong. You know, the great thing was that we've experienced in the last presidential cycle, the worst presidential candidate losing to the second worst presidential candidate who then lost to the third worst presidential candidate. <laughs> right. And yeah. it's whole, as I said on, on the big show, I said, it's, it's, it's we're putting Zaphod Beeple Brox, unfortunately in power up there. And unfortunately we've given him the, the, the codes for the launch codes for the nukes, but really we should be just giving him a friggin' you know, cup of rice, uh, you know, rice pudding and Joe go watch TV. Cause that's probably a better way at this point to run the government. Um, but it really is it this this is a great time to be a libertarian uh or at least not not the big l even libertarian it's a little, a little libertarian because we have seen in the past 18 months 
every big government principle take a complete shit and uh globally not just the u.s not just you know and in, in in everywhere so you know uh the government knows more about healthcare than you do no they don't uh the government knows more about nation building no they don't government knows more about economics no they don't uh the government knows more about gun control no they don't um <laughs> <laughs> so once again it's like it's a great time to be a libertarian and i don't know how many people that when they get when they get smacked in the face with holy crap these ideas are terrible and they're now personally terrible to me they aren't just a slogan that just makes me feel better it's oh my god it's affecting my life that we can start turning things around now i don't think we're gonna get to the anarchist utopia you guys want uh i don't think that's possible unfortunately in our lifetime until we get to the end of uh, you know the end of scarcity but um yeah, I I think it's a great time, and that's what uh, hopefully we can communicate here. Let yeah, me go. I, I agree, and I it comes off as sort of a bit of a dick saying, but I've had a lot of "I told you so"s this year, and I'm enjoying it yeah. a little bit, watching the world burn around me and going, mm, "I told you so." <laughs> yeah, there, there's a there's a ton of I actually my my um my piece of my mind is going to have a bit of I told you so in it. So uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and capitalize on that later. Before I wrapped up this segment, I did want to get to the future and I wanted to go around the horn to everybody to see what should be done now to take care of what we have now, like fix the problem now. What should, what we should do going forward. Let's, let's offer some solutions to our poor folks out there who are just, you heard a lot of the wrong, you got to witness the wrong thing to do, everybody. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what the right thing would be to do going forward. Lou, I'll start with you. Um, well, you know, on top of everything that's happening now that we mentioned, um, also we've seen Congress go back and forth about, you know, how many and what the threshold is for, um, you know, allowing refugees to come into our country. And, you know, they basically have to prove this extreme need. And, it, you know, there's all this bureaucracy behind it. And it's kind of like by the time someone proves that their life is in danger because they were helping us as a translator, they're dead. What's the point? Right. Um, and I think a lot of it is we've got to break away from bureaucracy and be humans. And I, you know, from a, from a strategic standpoint, do I have an answer? No, but I haven't also spent a 40 year career in, you know, foreign strategy. So mm -hmm. I shouldn't have to have an answer right now, but what they did, it doesn't take a genius to see that it was wrong. Seth, what do we do? What do we do? <laughs> what do, we do? Well, if possible, I mean, we try to start learning from history. I don't think we will, but if possible, we try. Um, you know, and historically, this is going to go home. This is going to go down as the worst pullout game ever. Um, I mean, it is worse than Hunter Biden pulling out of a hooker and getting her pregnant, right? Woo! I mean, oh yeah, yeah, way worse. Stormy than Daniels that. getting a, way worse no? than that. All right. I mean, all right, like <laughs> it, it's just. It's mind-bogglingly atrocious. Um, moving forward, first and foremost, we have to make sure that all U.S. civilians get out of there and get out of there ASAP. That's our responsibility. They're over there because of us. They're over there because we ask them to go. 
um, you know, our number one priority at this point has to be getting them the hell out of the country. Following that, we need to look at who our allies were. And if our allies are trying to get out, we need to get them out. You know, if we say we don't have records of these, shame on us for like having that abysmal of record keeping. Um, if we make some mistakes, we make some mistakes, but we've got to help these people. We've got to get these people out. Once we get these people out, we need to learn how to stay the hell out of other people's countries, which is something that in the past, what, 70 years now, starting with Korea, we just can't seem to figure out. We'll get it right one of these times. All right, Brian, what do we do going forward? Oh, I mean, ideally, we never would have given up Bagram and we would have just said we're going to be here another six months and just just hold it so we can. As I said, it's a landlocked country. You can't walk across the border to Pakistan. You can't walk across the border to Iran. I can't walk across the border to any of the other countries that are close by. So you need an exit strategy. Unfortunately, right now it's the airport. Um I, I unfortunately, I, I the only thing I see doing is just more of what we're doing is the same. I do not want more troops in there, but I hate to say this. Our people are going to get tired. And if something really bad happens, like all of a sudden the Taliban decide to shut down the airport and we've got 6,000 troops on the ground, what's Biden's order going to be? Is it going to be to fight or is it going to be to give up? Because if we have, have 6,000 troops all of a sudden be ordered to stand down and give up, I mean, it's going to make Iran, the Iranian hostage crisis look like, you know, a lock in the door and keep you in the bathroom for like two minutes or something like that. This is going to be epically terrible. So I'm thinking the Taliban leadership is smarter than that um, because I think the Chinese are probably also telling them, let them go. Because if you if you do something stupid, they're coming right back in and we got a chance to. To, to make it ours now and let China screw it all up. So I the ideal is just going to be to, to negotiate somehow to get everybody out of there as quickly as possible. Yes, it would be nice to go ahead and uh, try to get some of our equipment back, but that's that, that ship has sailed. Um, but the airports, I think the only thing we have left and that is so tenuous right now. I don't think people understand, uh, you know, if they amassed 15, 20,000 Taliban to go take the airport, I think it would be over in probably about two hours. We'd probably have about 2,000 U.S. soldiers dead because of it. Right. We'd have to fight to the last man. That'd be. No, oh we, we wouldn't. Like, no. Yeah. See, the thing is, this, this is this is a little different because this gets back to Japan and stuff like that. The idea that the U.S. and things like that, we would fight to the last man. It wouldn't. We would not have 6,000 casualties. There's no way. There, there's no way people would would see it and put their hands up and right. hope for the mercy of it because they'd want to survive just like the Iranian hostages. Did. The Iranian hostages went, you know what? Uh, they may kill us. They may not kill us. But at least if I have a gun in my hand, I'm shooting at them and there's 20 people coming at 20 to one odds against me. Uh, it's not going to be good. Um, but yeah, that's that's the only thing I see happening. Um, as I said, I think the Taliban will be smart enough to not do that, but yeah. Um, Sorry. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, if you listen to this show, you did have a kind of a leg up on a lot of this. And I, I mentioned one of the points earlier, but another one we alluded to was the problems from not, we've talked about it on this show, not granting immigration status to people who helped us um, is probably one of the cruelest things we can do because they, 
the Taliban doesn't, they kill people and they don't do it slowly and they will do it to people who they feel that helped us. And there are some deals like, oh, you know, you were just pretending to help the Americans, but you know, you just took their training and then kept their equipment and now you're on our side. Okay. That's fine. But, uh, you know, bad news if you were a woman who voted or got elected mayor or something like that, that this is not going to be good for you. And there are a lot of people who are looking at this right now, which is why you see them clinging to the sides of planes, because they think that the odds are better <laughs> to do that than it is to deal with what the Taliban are going to do. If we treat our friends this way, are we going to have any friends ever? And I got to say, you know, God bless the USA and all, but we, we're not going to make it if we treat allies like, like this and keep burning bridges with them. What are the odds after this incident that you think the Australians and Canadians and British are going to help us out? like in, in another coordinated affair. And this coordinated affair may even be important, maybe recover, recovering an imminent nuclear device or something, right? But bridges burned. They don't want to do an operation with us. We'll leave them hanging. Um, and we'll leave, I mean, we left the people in Afghanistan hanging. It's one of those, when we, when we were denying their immigration status months, years ago, this was, this was, this was what the outcome of that would be. And that was called and predicted on the show. Um, the reason I say this is not just because like this show's great, although this show is great, but the reason I say it is because there's a myst there's a mystification sometimes when you say I'm not smart enough to have an opinion about something. And Lou even said like I'm not an immediate foreign policy expert, right? Like we would still we would probably change some little things here and there if we had all the information that Joe Biden has. But the bottom line is you can get a hold of the information that is out there and come to a reasonable opinion on your own. That's not to reject the authority, but it's it's actually more accepting the authorities that are out there, accepting the intelligence that is out there in the common sense and applying it to yourself and just saying, I can see where this is going to go forward from here. Um, we need to get out of this. These wars of aggression are terrible. That's based on economics. Our immigration policy is terrible. That is also based on economics. And so I could talk about economics all day, but I'm not going to. Um, we need to, the bottom line is this is what it looks like. This was well, well, well predicted to the like T by Hayek. I mean, we are talking to the point that says if you adopt that system, this is what will happen, and it is happening. And it's not some 1984 fictional whatever, although a lot of that is happening as well. But this is one of those where he just said there is going to be wars, rumors of wars, and incentive to be in wars all the time. And that is what we have right now. It's a terrible thing. We have these policies that make it difficult for us to take unlimited amounts of immigrants. We need to do away with those policies because immigrants are great. And uh, that is kind of where we go forward from here. Everybody stick around. In just a minute here, we're going to come back and give you a piece of our mind. Thanks for hanging around, everybody. I really appreciate you sticking with us through the break there. Uh, piece of my mind segment, as usual, I will go first because I just love my mind and I just cannot wait to start with it. Um, <laughs> I wanted to talk about how government is a sledgehammer and not 
It's not the tool that you think it is. When you approve of government to do something, you are not just approving of the thing that it is doing. You are approving the people in charge of executing it. So when you say, what, like, I don't think, um, I don't think this homeless guy should be giving me an open heart surgery, that makes sense, right? Are you saying open heart surgery is bad? No, you might very well need it. But an uneducated, uneducated person who's been exposed to the elements a long time is not a good choice to have you do it. We look at this on the borders, and you want to say, like, some libertarians believed in closed border reform. But here's the problem with that. It is not just that you approve of closed borders. It is that you approve of the government instituting the closed border. That involves, and we, I've talked about on the show before, molestation, rape, that we let them get away with and we just shift them around and move them around there. That involves making false universities to lure people over here and then only to kick them back out and keep the money that they paid for tuition. This involves all these terrible things because this is what it looks like when that when the uneducated homeless person gives you open heart surgery. Okay. <laughs> you might approve of the thing. And I, I actually don't want to make this about borders because what happened recently is I had two friends. Um, both are nurses and both have been fired because they would not take the COVID vaccine. This is, they actually will be fired. There is a deadline on this. I believe it's September 30th. So it's coming. Um, this is something that maybe I'll get to predict something. We may have a nurse shortage uh, come October. Um, let me throw that. Well, we have one now, so I guess that's not really predicting much of the future, but we're going to have a worse one come October because now there's a policy in place that says you're going to lose your job as of September 30th if you don't have it. Now, one of them is an anti-vax person. She doesn't want it, doesn't want to take it. I don't like calling her an anti-vax person because she is actually, she's not even a libertarian. She loves the FDA and wants to wait until the FDA says it's okay and there's going to be no side effects, and that's what she wants. The other one actually has a blood condition, and she cannot get it. She, it, is, it is between her and her doctor. If she gets it, it could create some complications. She is being fired. There is no exceptions to this rule. And this is what the sledgehammer of government looks like. It might sound like a great idea on paper to say nobody who practices medicine should be unvaccinated. Maybe to you that sounds like a fantastic idea. And you say, yes, I don't want this virus going around. They deal with a lot of people who have the virus. I don't want them cross-contaminating others. Those are reasonable things to think. But the problem is when you give government the power to execute this, they execute it in the most brain-dead way possible. And they do it so incompetently that they don't care who else they hurt. If we have a nursing shortage already, and it's and we know that, we are now going to lay off a bunch of them. Nurses represent a huge percent of the people who will not get the vaccine. It is elevated among that profession, among many others. Why is it? A lot of it's the FDA. A lot of it's the research. Just last week in Canada, they found a, a link to uh, the vaccine and a cardiovascular disease in young adults. It's not a strong link. They're looking into it, and it's not confirmed yet. But that's the whole thing with this entire vaccine. It's not confirmed yet, and some people want to wait and see. 
and they should not be demonized for waiting and seeing. Now, do I believe in the power of voluntary relationships that take care of a lot of this? I absolutely do. Like, if you are not comfortable seeing or working with a nurse who is not vaccinated, you should be disclosed that information, you should be aware, and that's great. But government doesn't work and operate based on common sense. They work and they operate based on a sledgehammer. They operate based on pieces of paper. We've talked about this before. They make laws, and the problem with laws is that there are always valid exceptions to any law that you can make. And so the papers get bigger and bigger to try and account for all these exceptions, and nothing ever works out. The rule, uh, this rule, when you give government the rule to do this, it is now able to control a huge chunk of medicine, control people's livelihoods, and they're going to create a worse problem than the problem that currently exists. I don't, my, my two friends, my two nurse friends, I feel bad for them. This is, one of them has been in nursing for 13 years. The other one's been in nursing for 25 years. They are, they're just, they've been in there a long time, right? This is their life. They went to school for it. They went to extra school for it. But they are being punished because of the sledgehammer of government and its inability to make exceptions for them. And this is just what it looks like. And I just want people to understand that you can say it's okay for you to say like, man, this seems like a good idea. But I don't know that I want politicians taking care of it. Because I think there's several things like I would love for everybody to have access to health care that's cheap and easy and affordable. I really don't trust the government that's inflated these prices to be 10 times what they are to be in charge of it, right? So like, it's okay to say, I would love to see these things for society, but I don't want to see politicians taking care of it because insert politi insert name of worst politician you know will end up being in charge of it. And that just sounds gross to everybody. Um, Lou, Seth, Brian, any, any thoughts on uh, any of that? Well, I, you know, I think you really have to look at when you have healthcare professionals that look at a vaccine and go, uh, I don't know, like I kind of want to wait on some more information. Like maybe we should all be waiting on more information. That's what I've been doing. And I'm back and forth. I don't know where I'm at. I am by no means an anti-vaxxer. I don't, I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, everything in a vaccine is going to kill you and, you know, just that that's silly to me. Right. But this is new. And we've seen studies that say it does not stop you from spreading it. This specific vaccine, whether it's the, you know, Moderna, the Johnson, any of them, it doesn't stop you from spreading it. So as nurses who may be working in whatever, and people are concerned about cross-contamination, the vaccine is not going to do shit for that anyway. Period. Like Good that's point. completely pointless. And people in a medical field know this far better than a politician. That's just ignorant. You know, are there people who may be at higher risk for things from a vaccine or for not getting vaccine? Sure. That should be between them and their doctor. You know, if you have questions, look for the answers. And that is really hard to do in you know, the age of fake news, right? You know, the other day I witnessed a conversation where somebody was saying, you know, it was a conversation about vaccines and somebody claiming that, you know, we did not actually eradicate polio. We just changed the name and now we call it Guillain-Barre syndrome. And I wanted to go through my... <laughs> 
I like, remember that. I'm not even talking about that last time, right? Yeah, we talked about that. That's still to me. Blows my mind. But yeah. yeah. Right. Like, I just, what? Like, that's not, are you stupid? Like, that's not even a thing. That's stupid. And Determined so to be stupid. Out there. I understand why people are concerned and hesitant because there's so much bad information out there. I get it. I get it. It's hard to know what to believe. I know that, you know, a lot of times when you look at like vaccine court, right? A lot That is self-reported injuries and they just go, okay, fine. Like it happened within X amount of time of this vaccine. There's no actual like proof that this injury was caused by this vaccine, but the vaccine courts have just kind of put their hands up and said, okay, fine, we'll pay, whatever. Like just, ugh, right? So people assume that that means that this proves that this vaccine does this injury or what, and it's exhausting. It really is. And when you have the government sort of forcing this on people as a one size fits all, it's never going to work. Sorry. What were you saying here? Well, I got to say, A, I think he's right that there's going to be these shortages. I think it's going to extend past healthcare. Oh, yeah. Um, you're not seeing a huge second wave of people getting vaxes, even as Delta surges. You're not seeing a ton of uptick in vaccination rates. Um, and I think a lot of people are more than willing to lose jobs over this sort of thing. Right. Whether that's right or wrong on their part, I don't have a magical crystal ball. I was well, actually, Biden's going to keep writing us checks, so that's okay. I was just telling her today, I kind of feel like an island. Um, and I'm thinking about starting a support group because I'm over here and I don't trust any of the sources on any of this <laughs> because yeah. I really like, I really like history. So I don't trust my government because I know history. Um, I don't trust the media because I know history. I, I don't trust big pharma because I know history. Um, I don't even really trust science because I know history. Right. You know, and the people are like, well, trust the science. Well, is that the science that said thalidomide was safe? Yep. Or was that the doctors that said nine out of 10 doctors that said camels were good for you or menthols were good for your lungs or, you know, sugar was, was better for you than a steak. Right. Like, right. Right. That's government sponsored right there. <laughs> it's so, yeah, I, you know, at this point I'm just kind of like flip a coin. What's worse the shot or the virus or the, I, I don't really trust any of it. And it's scary. Because you is. don't know. Um, and, and if you do do the actual research, and I don't mean YouTube research, I mean actual American Journal of Medicine scientific papers, as late as November and December of 2019, there were researchers and professionals saying that mRNA technology that the vaccine is in, while it showed great promise in its limited clinical trials, was not ready for prime time. What changed in less than a year? Um, well, well, political aspirations. Uh, well, I, okay. I, I'm. Uh, I'm sorry. Are, are you? Are you good, Seth? I'm good. Okay. <laughs> okay. A lot of things. I'm going to unwind this here. Number one. Um, I, I received the Moderna vaccine. I do not wear a badge. I do not sit there and wear a hat that says I'm vaccinated and I'm a better human being than you. Personal choice that I made, personal choice my family has made. 
Um, and all of us have not had any side effects besides this, the nice smooth jazz that's playing in the 5G chip that was impl implanted with the shot. So <clears throat> it's very nice. It's Kenny G. So, you know, you feel very no. mellow. You said that was Moderna? Yeah. No, don't get the Pfizer shot. The Pfizer. Nirvana. Yeah. 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 It should be. Yeah. But um, a few things on it. Number one, the stats are out that you have a higher risk of having complications and or death from COVID than you do from the vaccine. Yes. Now, the effect, the efficacy of the Johnson Johnson shot uh, is similar to the Sinovax and things like that. I think long term, we're going to find out those shots may have a limited amount of, of help on, across a certain group of people. But in reality, it's like having a cheap iPhone case. You feel safe, but in reality, it's not really that safe. And it's you're probably going to do more stupid crap with it, thinking you're safe and playing with your phone and dropping it and it shatters into a billion pieces. Kind of the same process here. Uh, mRNA vaccines have been around for a little while. No, they are not similar to what we have. But then, of course, we've never really had a vaccine against the coronaviruses. Coronaviruses are known to be extremely mutative extremely tough to fight and it's really kind of a guessing game and by the time besides the symptoms were always you know oh darn i got sick and then i got better well guess what you got a cold don't come to work please and thankfully that's one thing that has thankfully changed hopefully in all of business now i'm sick uh, uh, yeah please don't come into work yeah um a few things about what you said, though, Hody. Number one, it's great that we're firing the nurses in October, because if you look at the historical timeline, that's when in the U.S. COVID cases started climbing. Uh, we're seeing a current oh, spike right now with Delta, that. which is very similar to what we saw last year. I can just imagine the fun we're going to have with that in October as we push all these nurses out the door. Now, I will tell you, there are some hospitals I've seen that have said, well, you know what, not October, but December, December. By December, definitely, you better have the vaccine. Um, I will tell you, I've been tracking also Indiana numbers since early March. Uh, it's been, and I'm not in March this year, March 2020, uh, kind of a pet project of mine. Just numbers make me feel a little better, I guess. <laughs> um, I did see a big drop off after the Johnson and Johnson pause, which I find hilarious that the government paused for that. But then the heart inflammation, they said, we're never going to make that mistake again. Um, and now it's actually being worse because now we're seeing that there's more people with this heart inflammation. So, you know, we, we have to take a look at, but the government's not going to make the mistake they did with Johnson and Johnson. But that being said, Delta has really has driven up vaccinations a little bit, a little, not a ton. We were averaging about three, 4,000 newly vaccinated, fully vaccinated people in Indiana every day. That number is up to around five, 6,000. So it has increased the number of people. I've seen a lot of people who've gotten COVID who were anti-vax and got COVID and said, oh my God, get the vaccine because they didn't want to go through it. Now, did they die? No. Um, but are they going to have long-term effects? I, I, some of them may. And so, as I said, the numbers show that so far, uh, besides the smooth jazz, you are far safer getting the vaccine and, and uh, the far less likely of a chance of having a complication than, from, than having major complications from COVID. Um, so realistically, should this still be personal choice? Of course, all of the security vax theater that we've been doing, some of it is legit, some of it is hot garbage. I just saw the lovely thing that came across that says that the cloth mask that we've all been told to wear 
block 10% of aerosols out of your mouth. That means now instead of 100%, only 90% are getting out into the air and infecting everybody. Go team. Sounds like big government at work. Um, <clears throat> so fully expect that they're now going to ban cloth and make you wear full surgical masks and full body condoms to be able to go shop at Walmart. <laughs> uh, well, and the last thing, I do want to add right. one thing. We have to just add some theme music when we have some sort of fake news. I wholly nominate Weird Al's Dare to be Stupid because we have plenty of people on YouTube <laughs> who, who make that their personal mantra, and we need to make that their theme song. I love it. I might never stop playing it anytime we're talking about like yes. politicians, but yeah, I, uh, I appreciate you guys thoughts on that. It's, um, it's one of those, you know, I, I, I am, I am I really appreciate Lou and Seth, what you two had to say about just being like, I don't know. And I think it's so okay to not know right now. I just, I don't know, you know, like, <laughs> I, I, and, and I feel like people's convictions one way or another is what gets them in trouble when the anti-vax people oversell that, that it does this and this and this and, it doesn't happen, then you've oversold it. You've created this hysteria and make it very easy for people to tear you down. And then when the pro-vax people, I mean, like I talked about this on the show, how on TV, the government ad that comes on says it's 100% safe. There's no side effects. It, it makes you immune and it prevents you from carrying it. And no qualifications, no asterisks, no stars, no no guy after the commercial being like, except for in cases of small children, like none of that. Yeah. Like, they sure, just said full like this is like wonderful and like i'm like bro here's the thing you fed them you fed the anti-vaxxers this you gave them a softball to absolutely crush out of the yard because you just it's so easy to, to overturn yeah golf it um brian you're on a roll so i'm gonna let you go ahead and give us a piece of your mind next oh i had a couple of good ideas but i'm still waffling back and forth so um you know, I just I'm going to get back to just libertarians in general. And this is the fun one, of course. Um, realistically, as I said earlier in the podcast, we are at the greatest time to be a libertarian, I think. I mean, you can look back to the 70s and 80s and things like that and say, oh, well, it's really great then. We now have this type of messaging platform and if, as long as you don't decide to get up on stage and rip off all your clothes or something along those lines, it is really fabulous to be able to go out and, <laughs> and knock out Joe Biden asks Donald Trump softball, golf ball shots right out of the park. And there are so many people that are that are coming over. That being said, please keep your pants on. That's my first part. Thank um, you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and second of all, We've got to really do something internally about the people that are making, I, I want to say this, libertarian mindset, their personal income. Um, I know it's a little touchy subject. Um, I, I firmly am in the belief that p there are people out there that really believe in the libertarian mindset and want to make change. And I believe there are also people who know there are people that are out there that really want to do the mindset and want to go ahead and be able to make some money off the deal. Uh, we have plenty of grifters in every po political party. Uh, unfortunately, the D Democrats and Republicans have professional ones, so we get the amateur hour. Um, that being said, the best thing you can do for libertarianism overall is volunteer and talk to your neighbors. Don't give $500 to Joe Blow because, don't get me wrong, 
if you like our Patreon, please subscribe. We love you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but we're not making a profit on this. You can always hear from everybody in, in the We Are Libertarians network. None of us are making this our day job because we are passionate about this and we're de dedicating time and substance to make this happen. So, you know, as I said, just please be aware. The best thing you can do as a listener, as someone else, is be able to go out and talk to your neighbors, your friends. Not crazy, not anti-vax, not go out and tell them that the government's implanted 5G chips in your dog to make the frogs gay. But simply just that, you know what, school choice, you know, it really stinks that my kid can only go to this school. It'd be really cool if I could go ahead and, and take my federal, my, my state tax dollars and go over to that better school. I, I'll drive them, but wouldn't that be a cool idea? 80% of people are now on board with school choice after COVID. Uh, that was the last number I saw. It was around 80, 82%. Yep. That's a scary number. Yeah. That number didn't exist before COVID. That number was in the 40s and 50s. So, as I said, this is a great time to be a libertarian. Let's Love take it. advantage of it. Uh, fully agree. Um is it better to be when you predict the future? Is it better to be a libertarian when you predict the future or after that future has come to be? Because we're currently in a future where it's after that's come to be. As Lou said, we are in an age of I told you so's right now. Like we are just we're swimming in them. Right. We have we, we are Hayek predicted this. And and yes, these poor old fogies who are who are either dead or close to death or whatever had to like predict all these things. But they could be dismissed because it hadn't come to be. Keynesianism had never been tried. Right. Like so maybe this could be great. And then it wasn't. And it went exactly as the libertarians said it would go. And now we're here and it's better to be here. And look back and say, I told you so, than being the guy saying, I told you so, and then looking towards the future. Um, I'm not sure if I have anything to add because Brian's prescription is spot on. Get to know your neighbors, get to talk to them, get to know them. It's so easy to dismiss a thousand libertarians online because they're faceless and angry and loud and whatever, right? There's a convenient block button and whatever it may be. It's almost impossible to ignore your libertarian neighbor that rakes your leaves. And they will give a lot more to that person than anybody else. And yeah, it's it's a fantastic time to be a libertarian. It's just, a, as Brian said, it's just a matter of capitalizing on this time. I think 80% of people said they were for all the Afghan immigrants that wanted, and including like 72% of Republicans, like, like something wild, right? That said any Afghanistan person from Afghanistan that wants to come over here should be over here. These are crazy numbers. Like we, you wouldn't even dream of that number last year, right? So great time to be a libertarian, Brian. We are, we, we are getting their best and brightest. Think of it yes. that way. That's why I keep telling people is that the people that want to come here are the best and brightest of those countries because they're smart enough to say this is a crap situation. We need to get the hell out. So yeah, I do want to point out. I don't think anybody actually in this podcast needs to hear this. But I'm sure just based on what I've seen on Facebook, someone out there needs to hear this. <laughs> the boy, I sure do miss those mean tweets is not the <laughs> flex that you think it is. <laughs> you know what? Again, I, I'm always for the Zafad Bebop boxing of, of the U.S. presidency. I want <laughs> I want somebody up there who's popular, who has no power. Exactly. And be able to sit there 
Yeah. And, and I want them competent. I want I want a vice president. I, I Again, I'm always kind of the fan of the I, I always thought of picking the vice president. He said, Jeb. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> I am re- I'm restating my position. No. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that does not mean that we are saying Trump would have been better. I think actually. Right. I think Trump Trump is probably egotistical enough. He probably would have landed in probably 25, 50,000 troops into Afghanistan, and we would probably be day 17 into an all-out bloody massacre and just dumping people in. Thank God that's not happening. Right. But, you know, yeah, I, I, I have a feeling Biden's ready to push that button, too. Lou, anything you want to tack yeah, on sorry, here? Lou. No, you're okay. You're okay. No, I'm... The, I- you nailed it. I, I agree with you 100% there. So I really don't have. Yeah, I'm just I'm just here to say I told you so. <laughs> <laughs> we'll sing it. And and it's a piece of your mind. Your turn, Lou. And if you just want to use it to say I told you so that that's totally valid. I told you so. I told you so. No, I'm just kidding. Um, okay, I, I can I get the guitar. We can make pivot. it a sing along. <laughs> He's got him. <laughs> right. We're making it follow the bouncing ball. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Karaoke. I told you so. Oh my goodness. Oh man. No, I do. I'm actually. I'm gonna pivot a little bit um, to something a little more local and a little more close to home. And I think that it's really important. You know, and I guess this is sort of tax on what Brian was saying about connecting with your neighbors and your community. I think right now, especially with social media and everything that's going on and 24 hour news cycles and things like that, we're really, um, we're so focused on, you know, the big picture and very broad subjects and things that we can't touch as individuals. And up here recently, and I'm sure Brian, you probably have heard the story about little Mercedes Lane, um, who was found dead. Beautiful little baby girl. Yeah. And um, they're, oh, this whole thing is really heartbreaking to me. Because Uh, the father had a history and had been charged and I believe convicted of trafficking his own 12-year-old daughter, who has since spoken out publicly that you know he trafficked her and sold her to adult men for drugs on more than one occasion um and she has since been placed um and i believe adopted um here locally and but she's it's it's awful so basically this couple to be very brief about it decided they wanted to drop off the baby with a friend, which actually I believe turned out to be the father's cousin um, because they needed a break. And as a parent, I get it. We all need breaks. Um, However, their break included a meth binge. And I know, you know, whatever, do what you want to do. And I guess in in some ways, like I kind of get the like, okay, if you have an addiction and you just want to go binge, okay. Like I get the idea that you get a babysitter. I guess that's better than keeping it, keeping the baby with you while you're getting high. Um, but that wasn't any better. And I, I, we still don't know exactly what happened at this point. 
and this little girl went missing and the community from all the way up here in Mishawaka, all the way across to Plymouth, um, had been out looking and they found her several days later in a ditch. Um, we still are waiting on an autopsy. There's a lot of information that they've not made public. Um, but the fact that and CPS had been called multiple times, um, or DCF or whatever, you know, it is here or in that community. But yeah, DCS. Yeah. Um, so, and this little baby slipped through the cracks. And then I look around at our community and this happens far more than it should. Far more than it should. And it makes me really think about, you know, exactly what Brian was saying. We have got to connect in our own communities because this shit is happening under our noses. It's right here. It's next door. And we're so concerned about the big stuff. And not that we shouldn't be, but the reason these things get left unnoticed and these children fall between the cracks is because we're too concerned about the big headlines and not concerned enough about what's happening next door. And we're not here to support our neighbors where they need it or to have an eye on, you know, the children in the neighborhood. Like we have got to reel it in social media, 24 hour national global news cycles. A lot of it is really why we're losing little babies like Mercedes Lane. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I knew that one would be a tough one for you, Brian. I, <laughs> I, I have, uh, I will not go into great details. Um, but I, I was a foster, I was a foster parent. I adopted four kids out of foster care. Uh, some of them very similar situation. Um, and all my kids, um, some of them consider themselves lucky. Uh, some of them, you know, well, anyhow. Uh, this is a failure kind of across the board. Um, the, this gets into people self-medicating. Um, people falling into a cycle of abuse, criminal prosecution, abuse, criminal prosecution, abuse, criminal prosecution. And then shock, they can't find a job. They can't take care of themselves. They feel terrible about themselves. Oh, what should I do? Oh, yeah. And then we can get into the whole, um, you know, personal choices they made and things like that. But but in the end, this kind of falls once again with the state. I'm not blaming the state for the murder. Don't, don't, please don't get me wrong. The people that carried it out are are the ones who committed the murder. Yeah. That being said, I have seen we had this happen in Huntington County probably about 17, 16 years ago. Similar case where a someone who was in care of DCS um, had family was making the DCS was making regular home visits, things like that. I have seen the politics go into that system. I've seen politics where it shouldn't ever be. We shouldn't have politics in the police. We shouldn't have politics in DCS. We shouldn't have politics in 
DA's office, and yet it still shows up. And if anything, it's worse than these little fiefdoms. It's a failure on DCS, which you'll never admit. They'll say they did everything they could. And, and they're, there's going to be times where you can't stop, you know, a psycho person from doing it. But but this gets back to one problem in libertarianism. And boy, I'm going to really dial it back on what I just said a little while ago. There are people that can't care for themselves. And we expect them to care for others, especially small children. And that is a very tough position to be in as a libertarian when you look at something like this. I, I, I wish I had the right answer. Um, I will tell you there are kids that should be removed from their parents' care. Uh, I have four of them, and I, their lives are infinitely better than the kids that did not get removed. Um, and I've seen this personally. I know that some of the kids that didn't get removed are even jealous and, and, and mad at life for, for not saving them from the hell that they went through at home. So it's a tough position to be in as a libertarian where you want the government to come in and take away people or kids, which is the, I probably think one of the toughest things to do. But that being said, it sometimes unfortunately needs to be done. And that's where the state has failed in this case. The DCS system is entirely political. It is overworked. It drives people out of the business that want to help because they're either not politically driven or they're not making quote numbers. So heavily corporatized too. That was kind of yep. the thing that scared me the most about the family services. Um, I think to Lou, to your point, when somebody says somebody should do something, if it's local, they're talking, when you hear somebody, you should hear you, you should hear yourself. You should hear that's, that's me. So when somebody says, Oh, somebody should do something about the homeless here. Somebody should do something about the hungry. Somebody should be doing something about our kid. Let's keep this even more simple. Because I think people think of community and you start thinking of like your whole block or city or precinct or something like that. If you have a neighbor that's just like, man, I got to get out of town for a week because I'm freaking out. Can you make that happen? Like, can you take care of them or do they going to have to trust their fellow? And I just had to read this while you were looking into it. Are they going to have to entrust it to their fellow completely untrustworthy kind of loose family member that is also addicted to drugs? right? Like being available and you can't be a superhero for everything, but libertarianism is a great network. I mean, there are people that are into feeding the homeless and there are people that are into taking care of children. And there are people that are into knitting and making clothing and feeding yourself by raising rabbits. I mean, this is a, you've got a, you've got a connection somewhere out there that can help. And, and it is a, it is a tough thing. And I'm, I'm sorry that uh, I'm sorry. Boy, right there in Indiana too, and I'm really sorry to hear about that and what her family is going through. But I just think, if libert as libertarians, if we want to do ourselves a lot of credit, we do a lot when we become that somebody. When they say somebody should do something, yep, absolutely. This, this is. I will tell you that the one thing my I, I have a daughter who's studying. She's right now actually starts her master's in social work next or in the next couple of days. The hardest thing to learn about all this people, especially in, 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 um, that are, they're addicted is they have to want to get help. Um, mm -hmm. no matter what you do, no matter what you say, it's not, it's never going to change. So let's say you're addicted to Dr. Pepper. Um, yes. 
I am. Continue. Continue. I, I don't want help. So this is going to be a perfect you example. Don't help. I, I, I'm addicted to Pepsi and I don't want help either. Yeah. Um, but um, the the reality is that unfortunately these people are left with kids. I, I have been very fortunate in order to change those situations, but it's very hard to go up to somebody as part of the community, which can, in in some cases, especially if you are down on your luck and everybody's mad at you, uh, that community can seem more like a mob. So, and if you're, it is one of the, I, I just, I want to figure out a solution. Um, the last thing I want though is, last thing I want is 30,000 people with their own idea of what should be done um, besides helping. And that that's where it's tough because there's a lot of grifters out there. This gets back to grifting as well. There's a lot of people who are very good at the know how to game the system and know how to game people in general. Yeah. So, yeah. Seth, uh, some thoughts from you about this situation? I have a very, maybe not unusual take, but I definitely come at this from a very different place. Um, for those that don't know, I'm a recovering addict on some really, really hard drugs. Um, I haven't touched them in 20 years. Uh, fortunately, it was way before, well, not way before, but it was before I had kids. Um, and since I've had kids, you know, I, I don't touch those things. Um, so I was, I was fortunate enough to not have kids while I was dealing with that. And my kids were lucky enough to never know me at that stage of my life. Um, but as someone that has been there, um, you know, there absolutely comes a point where you're not capable of taking care of yourself, let alone someone else. Like that's a very real thing. And you will absolutely do things that you never in your right mind would think that you would do that, that those very, very real things. Um, you know, part of that, I blame the government. Their war on drugs has just made it worse, not better. Uh, you know, people don't get the help they need. People get thrown in jail. It's just as easy to get the drugs in jail as it is on the street, sometimes easier. So it's not like you get clean in jail. You just learn how to hide it better. And then you come out and now you're back in society and you hide it better. And it just viciously spirals. And because of how we treat it, it's ridiculously low percentages. For certain drugs, two, three percent of people that become addicted will ever fully recover and stay off the drugs. You know, so there's a and and maybe you can even attest better to this, but kind of and the, these are very recent modern investigations in psychology, but we're kind of finding out that this disassociation with people who did drugs is the problem that that it's actually isolation is the worst thing for them yes. and community involvement improvement is actually what helps them recover you know it, yeah i i want to chime in though is that there's a point though that we're personally where you're interacting with someone who's addicted that you you kind of have to say that when you're ready to get help we, we love you oh sure but we we can't we can't actively support what yeah. you're doing to yourself. Sure. And, and so I, I think it's a, it's a balance, especially with the family. 
Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can't all be oh, like Hunter that. Biden and hanging out in basements or whatever. Or sell artwork for $750,000. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's not at all a bribe. No. Sorry, I made that political, but continue, Seth. Sorry. Like, I know what you're talking to, and in some ways, yes, that's correct. But I'm, I'm, having been an act addict, I'm a little bit more on Brian's side on that one just because ultimately I think that was probably one of the things that finally kind of woke me up was the number of people that I loved, cared about, respected, trusted, you know, in my life that were like, that's it. Do your thing, but don't involve me. Well, and I, I think that, you know, again, we're all individuals for some people, that's what they need, you know? And for other people, they need to feel like, Hey, I'm not alone. I do have a good support system and a community and people love me. And so it's easier to shit. Again, that's just, just like everything else. It's not a one size fits all. Good point. It's just not. Great point. Because people self-medicate for different reasons. Right. And if we end the drug war, if we push control back to the states where the states don't have to follow stupid federal guidelines, I mean, they have to follow, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of the government wants to set a guideline. We think that, you know, you, the, the kids that if they have to have school lunch should get X amount of vitamins per day and not be stupid. Here's a range. You have a good day and let the states make these decisions. Because I think once you get the federal government out of a lot of it, all of a sudden the states have to become more responsible to the public as opposed to saying, well, we're just doing what the feds told us to do. Yeah. Thanks for carrying our axe for us. Um, Seth, <laughs> uh, why don't you give us a piece of your mind and then we'll call it a day. I'm ridiculously mad at Hollywood. Um, in particular, the, the top two that come to mind are, uh, well, I guess there's three, Scarlett Johansson, Emma Stone, and uh, what is it, Dennis, I can't pronounce his last name, but he's the director of the new uh, Dune movie coming out. Oh, okay. Right? Okay. And don't get me wrong, if Disney was shady with their contracts, I hope they win, and I hope they take Disney and rake Disney over the coals. So I'm not pro-Disney, and I don't actually have a problem with them trying to get what you know was in their contract and what they're in entitled to based on the contract. But I am mad because this kind of sets back and now there's this big push to, you know, our movies shouldn't release day one so that people can see them in their homes. Like in plain English, fuck you. <laughs> like we all pay a lot of money for streaming services. Some of these streaming services, we even pay a premium to see that movie on day one. I paid 30 bucks to see Black Widow on day one. You're right. I didn't go to a movie theater to see it. Where I can but if I had sit and chew gum. And just yeah. taken myself, it would have been an $8 ticket. I spent 30 bucks. Mm -hmm. The point being is that they've taken this weird stance, especially... Uh, the director that, you know, from now on, he's going to negotiate in his contracts that, you know, there won't be these day one tandem releases after COVID. This is, this is the hill you want to die on to crowd people into movie theaters and enclosed spaces. That it seems like a weird hill to die on, but okay, guys. 
Um, <laughs> as a consumer, why should I have to, if I'm willing to spend my money on the product, why should I have to wait 45 days? And why should I have to go to a movie theater to see this? And I think it sets back that whole process when these celebrities start speaking out about it. And it just, and, and I used to be a huge movie theater guy. I really was. I had to go see every new movie in the theater. I was there probably three, four times a month. So I can't even believe I'm having this uh, rant, I if you will. Him. Um, but the pandemic really did taught me that I much prefer watching movies at my house on my big screen TV. Mm. Where I can pause it if I have to go to the bathroom I, yeah. or go have a cigarette or I can rewind yep. it. I, I hate missing stuff in the theater. And they're mm-hmm. gross. I don't have to wear pants. It's it's glorious. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot of... Um, I mean, people during the pandemic went in not good at things like cooking and, and they went out you know, they cha- made some changes and improved and got it better. Maybe the movie th- theater experience wasn't as good at home at first, but then when you're like, oh, it's going to be a year of this. All right, well, I'm going to get a comfy recliner. I'm going to get, I'm going to stock up on soda. I'm going to get all these great snacks. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, this is now better than the movie theater experience. You know, like things changed. Uh, as far as what you said, Seth, um, nail on the head. I've actually talked about this with Jamie before because usually it's one of those things. I'm like a man of the people and I don't like when people get ripped off on their contracts. But there are people like you and me that spent way more money on this than they would have otherwise. And I think saying like, oh, yeah, so that's why we need to force movies to only be in theaters for X amount of months. I'm like, this is this is dumb. Why can't you just not? Neg- why can't you just factor into the negotiations how much money they make? Yeah, both at home and in theater. That's that's come on now. Like let's let's adjust your model. Yeah, right. There's going to be some growing pains, right? Because this is new, Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to like a big like Marvel Cinematic Universe type movie release. And I get that. Um, But this is yet again another one of my favorite. I told you so moments when we got married. He always wanted to go see everything in the theater, and I was like, "Ew, the seats are sticky." (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, I'll wait. I don't care about the spoilers. I'd rather see it at home. And he, you know, oh, this is coming out. Okay, we'll take the kids. I'll stay here. <laughs> you know? Yep. And and now he's like, God, why did I ever go to movie theaters? It's awful. Yeah. I went to, uh, I went to watch it. What it was the, uh, I was watching like Brave and it came on in the same theater after Magic Mike. And the, the seats were just smelly, sticky. The whole place smelled like a tuna factory. Like it, was, <laughs> it was rough, man. It was rough. And that's uh, so like, and I think that's the last thing I've ever seen in theaters just because it was so rough. And, of course, that's a unique experience. But yeah. Who, who puts a kid's movie after Magic Mike? I. Hopefully nobody hung around from the first one. I don't know. I, I really liked Brave, but uh, yeah, the it was I went uh, to it, high school with a guy who actually worked on the animation for Brave. Oh, fantastic! Yep, his name is David Hale. You can see him in the in the thing, the credits. Awesome! Very talented. Awesome! That's way cool. I knew somebody who worked on a few Pixar movies, but she went and did her own thing. She's doing her own thing now. Hey, yeah. I, I just want to chime in one little thing because the timing is hilarious. Because I really don't didn't go to movies too much until today. <laughs> I went to go see Free Guy at Regal Cinemas in Fort Wayne, which has the comfy chairs, the lie back, blah blah blah. It was <laughs> very comfortable. It was very nice. But I share your belief that um, 
you know, that I'd rather watch it at home uh, mm -hmm. with my family, be able to hit the pause button, make my own popcorn. Although the popcorn at the theater here in town is fabulous. It's the best popcorn <laughs> I've ever had in my life. I, I honestly, I, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's meth or extra methy or what from the meth people that live <laughs> down, but it is delicious. That being said, if you look at when the movie started shooting, when they started doing casting on Dune, it was uh, 2017, 2018 timeframe. The shooting mm -hmm. didn't start to 2019. Guess when streaming services really took off. So, yeah, it's kind of a shitty situation. Mm -hmm. I get why, but I think this is one of those things where you go, this is a simple negotiation. Let's just fix this. Um, I fully expect yeah. movie theaters probably to fight back, um, although they really don't have any power in the situation. Um, I think they'll fight back and they'll probably get to where it's like, all right, we'll agree that one week, two week, whatever it is, 45 days is insane. Um, uh, especially when you can ride the wave of, uh, of, of hype right along, right. The apex of it. So yeah, people want to come in the door, watch it and then get the people at home. They want to watch it again and again and again and again. So, yeah. Seth, Seth, any, any, we kind of hijacked it from there. Did you have anything else you wanted to add I mean, about Hollywood? Sorry. I, I, I do agree with you. The movie theater popcorn is amazing. Um, yeah. I think mostly it's the butter, not so much the popcorn, it's the butter. So we just need someone to come out with that butter, like sold in a big jar at Walmart, Meyer, and then we can just add it to our, and we'll be good to go. They always claim to have it, but they don't, Lou. I got to no, tell you, I've tried it. They, they label the it. Yeah, it's not. It's disappointing. I, I, I tell you this much. Uh, we have a requirement here in this household. Uh, with with my kid was that every time that um, he went to a movie theater, his girlfriend loves like the 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 worst horror movies. You know the ones where it's just mm. like I know what you did last summer with that mallet. You know type of thing. <laughs> but the requirement was that you go to the movie theater, you had to come home with a, a refill of popcorn, uh, otherwise you were sleeping outside. So um, Fair. he's he's been very good about that, except for the one time where they're like, oh, they closed up and we couldn't get any popcorn. I was like, all right, I'll, I'll forgive you this time. But that's your one. You got to go during the movie. Make sure. But again, I, I, I'm willing to pay $500 for the secret recipe and stuff like that for their popcorn. It's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Well, well everybody, thank you so much for uh, coming in today. Sorry, Seth. You had one more thing. My, my final thought on that is that even as a consumer, at this point, I'm willing to pay more to get it at home than to go see it in the theater. Yeah, no, he only really ever wanted to do matinees anyway. Cheap ass. I love, I love matinees. They're awesome. Nobody's there. Economical, yeah. right? Theater's half empty. It's the way to yeah. do it. That's, yeah. Actually, that's what it was today. We went and saw Free Guy, which, by the way, go see it. It's definitely worth seeing matinee pricing. Um, but anything ryan reynolds is yeah yeah my my wife was bored out of her skull but she didn't get about 90 percent of the references that's why i purposely chose the theater with the <laughs> super comfy chairs she did get a very nice nap but that's okay i'm cool with that that's very thoughtful of you yeah so but um that being said it's fabulous um it, it's it's is it the greatest movie ever no not even close um Barbie does want to see Dune in the theater just to see it on the big screen. Even though I do have a nice TV at the house, there is something to be said on that wide, super wide screen. So, well, let's see. Nice. Let's see. Well, everybody, thank you for tuning in while you're watching your while you're watching stuff at home without any pants. We're glad to be one of those things that you're at home watching without pants. Um, numbers for the show are great, guys, and thank you so much. For those who don't know, we do have a We're Libertarians Patreon. That's great. Support Chris. Support the main show. We don't see a dime of that. What we get is ad revenue. 
So just listening to and downloading the show. It counts as a download if you listen to it is the easiest way I can say it. There's some things I don't get credit for like YouTube and whatnot. But if, you, I, if you're watching on YouTube, that's cool too. I don't care. But if you're watching on like Spotify, Stitcher, whatever your podcast player is, it counts and we get some cash. And so that's how things go. All I ask is that you listen, that you keep listening and you keep sharing. Um, these last two months are July and August are the worst two months for podcasting. And most of the time, people's numbers go down. Now, we're a new show. This is our 20th episode. So it makes sense that our numbers are increasing, but our numbers are increasing pretty substantially. And so just thank you so much for everybody who is listening and sharing. Um, we are competitive with some podcasts that I'm like, hey, I know that right now. Like, hey, we have the same numbers as them, and it's really cool. And Jacob's calling me out for my grifting, and that's fine. <laughs> it is what it is. Um <laughs> <laughs> I will absolutely, if I actually do, um, when I get paid for the the ad revenue for it, we'll figure out something to kind of do as a group, kind of have a group collab discussion. We, I'll bet we can do something cool with it. And if it's only like 20 bucks, maybe we'll just buy a bunch of gumballs and call it a day. I don't know. But <laughs> we, we actually split it amongst all the We're Libertarian shows that are doing the ads, and we get a percentage that is based on our number of downloads. And uh, right now we're we're pretty competitive. I don't want to brag too much because I do like the main show, but we are, um, <clears throat> we're doing well. We're doing well and great, getting some great viewers, getting some great interaction. But thank you again so much uh, for tuning in. I love you all very much and enjoy the rest of your week. <laughs>